Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. How you doing, Internets? Uh, back with a little bit of Beer Massive podcast, whatever-ness you'd like to call it. Um, doing a little on-the-road uh, brewery interviews. And... Um, Today was a bit planned. I wanted to kind of come up. I'm going to be moving away from um, northeastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and I kind of wanted to get up into the kind of lower New York State area and pick some breweries out before I move. Not that I won't come back up in this area, but I kind of just wanted to get a couple on the books, in the can, whatever you want to call it. And one of the ones I definitely want to do is a brewery I've been to a couple times. It's called Farmhouse Brewing, and it's up in Owego, New York. Um, the reason for that is it's a farmhouse brewery. For those that don't know, and we'll cover it in depth in here, is basically the source, essentially, in the simplest form, whatever, the uh, their ingredients as local and as New York City as possible. So I picked Farmhouse, and we're sitting here across from Marty. Is it Matarazzo? Matarazzo. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. There you go. That's that's what I like to hear. Tomato, Um, tomato, and ingredient. uh, Your beers, right? He's the uh, owner, head brewer, and let me do this one instead of malster. You are a mastler. No, it's a a malster and a brewer. Okay, okay. Um, And um, so, first things first. I come in here. He's unclogging a toilet. So I was absolutely. I was so happy that would happen because that goes to show you you're not having your you know random staff doing it. You got to unclog those toilets yourself. So anyway, the, first, uh, in, sorry, in the, no. sorry. In the worst non-intentional pun, when Matt told me that, I said, "Oh no, shit." Yeah. Oh wait, no. There's well, hopefully now there is. Yeah. And that's not what it, they. He's the best color man in the business. Basically. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, first things first, introduce yourself, Marty. Uh, who are you? What are you? And what do you, what do, you do? Because there's a lot of things you fill. Yeah, Marty Matrazzo uh, with the Farmhouse Brewery. Uh, Maltster brewer, farmer, uh, and owner of the Farmhouse Brewery. Uh, we, as a Farmhouse Brewery, as our brewery, what sets us apart is we malt all our own base malt. Uh, which doesn't mean we do, we don't do everything. Uh, we don't do the specialty malts, so the roasted malts we, we, we shy away from. When we first started down this path and we're learning about malting, uh, there was one axiom that was we heard over and over, and that there's two kinds of malt houses that do specialty malts, those who, who have had fires and those who will have fires. <laughs> and so we decided, you know what, we'll let someone else mitigate that risk, and we'll just make the base malts and stay away from the being close enough to the igniting temperature of, of the grain. First thing first, I have to ask, chicken or the egg, which came first, the beer or the malt? What, were you a malter first or were you a brewery so first? I was, well, I was a home brewer, mm-hmm. and uh, we moved back to the northeast and into the snow belt and needed something to do in the winter. So I started, that's where I really honed my brewing skills was I started brewing every weekend because I needed, I don't sit around well. Okay. So uh, I started brewing every weekend. And then, you know, what was the next level of difficulty was to do go to all grain. And then what's the next level of difficulty is I started malting my own grain uh, as a home maltster. Um, we, I created a lot of compost at first <laughs> before I figured it out. Uh, did a lot of reading and started malting my own grain as a, as a home brewer. Um, using seed grain, using seed barley, which is high in protein. And so luckily I cut my teeth malting what would be considered bad malt, bad grain. 
something high in protein grain, which we deal with a lot in New York. Probably so a good thing, though, if you think about it. Yeah. You, you know, you're really steel sharp and steel kind of thing, right? Yes, exactly. So, it, it, so we made the jump into using locally grown grain uh, early on. When so when we first started the we. So the malt house came first, to make a long story short. Professionally, we were a malt house first. Uh, we started malting while I was still gainfully employed. Okay. And, uh, but I knew the end was coming. I knew I was going get to get laid off. We got bought by a larger company, and we knew that the, the time was nigh. And so we, we started this plan, started the malt house, knowing we were going to eventually be a brewery. Uh, but we were malting for other breweries and distilleries for about two years before the brewery was up and going. And don't apologize for being long-winded. That's what these <laughs> things are all about. <laughs> kind of backtrack a little bit. You said you you moved back to the Northeast. Where were you beforehand? I was in California, uh, near San Francisco. Okay. So it's lived there for about 12 years. And then did you do the homebrew thing before you moved back? Yes. Okay. Yep. And then is that where your kind of love for making a beer kind of came from San Francisco? Oh, absolutely. The, yeah, it, 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 you have to talk about long-winded answers. Uh, you know, I, back in my day when I grew up. <laughs> How old are you? I had old. So <laughs> How the, old? I had 50. Okay. You're not that older, much older than me. So anyway. But, you know, back in the 80s, all there was was lager. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, by the time, say, early 90s, I was so tired of yellow lager. Mm. Uh, I didn't drink for a couple of years. I thought I didn't like liquor. I didn't think I liked wine. I met my wife, who was from Sonoma. Okay. And she's like, you've had good wine. I thought all wine tasted like what New York wine tasted like in the <laughs> 70s, where it's Kool-Aid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I drank wine for a couple years. We moved to California, and that's during the first craft beer boom. We moved and dumped ourselves into California in the middle of that. And I found, uh, you know, that's where I found locally made stouts and porters. And I thought, I still thought blonde beer tasted like lager. And it wasn't, probably drank stouts and porters and Russian imperial stouts. For years before even Man after my own heart. before I stumbled on an IPA and was like, "Holy shit, a blonde beer can taste good!" You know, <laughs> any particular breweries out there? Well, or? so my my gateway beer into into blonder beers was, was uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, yeah. and I, I just, a lot of people have that. Too. I was slinging I was slinging uh, juice for a juice company at the time, and we used to at the back door of the grocery stores we'd all be a trade. You know, here's a couple of juice for some fresh bread and. One day, the Sierra Nevada guy's like, I'll give you a case of beer for a case of orange juice. And I was like, <laughs> sounds great. So, I, And that's where I was like, holy crap, a blonde beer can have flavor. I, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it just, you know, rolling rock in Genesee, it was all just, I mean, you're... Yeah. If you're feeling fancy, we're, you got a we'll never pride, besmirch you know? Genesee on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Jenny Cream Ale is near and dear to my heart. But anyway, so you, you, you get the bug for the beer. You come back yep. to the north. Why'd you come back to this area? I grew is up in this roots? area. Okay. Yep, yep. We wanted to get back. We finally wanted to move back where family was. Uh, my son was getting older and wanted him to grow up with his cousins around and, and grandparents around. And so we stopped bouncing around and we found a little farm. Actually, we bought our farm on Craigslist. Really? I mean, we found our farm on Craigslist, and we were out in the Bay Area, and they're like, look at that. And so eBay, we, nothing on eBay. <laughs> no, no, just that's the largest Craigslist purchase ever made. It was, it was a 40-acre farm. And then you moved the farm. Uh, was was it a malt? Was it a grain farm at no, that point? No, so we, at that point, we had no idea what we were going to do with it. It's just that acres gave us opportunity. We didn't know what we would do with it. We did. Mm. Uh, we initially started with uh, an acre of hops, because as a home brewer, it would be cool to grow yeah. our own hops. We did mixed veggies for a few years and hit the, did the farmer's market thing, which is where I fell in love with farmer's markets and farmers. And uh, So we did a lot of, like I said, the mixed veggies, tomatoes, peppers, uh, pumpkins, and all that kind of stuff. And then what was what was the impetus for the brewery? Like, where, when did the switch go off? So we were back. I was working for home for a couple of years. Like I said, the company I worked for got bought by a much larger company. They There was no reading between the lines. They told us, yeah. we're going to get rid of you as soon as we can figure out how to 
how to get how rid to do of it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was, uh, and that, by that point, we had just started, I'd started home malting, and we thought, it'd be cool, no one else is doing, there's only one of the malt house at the time in the Northeast, and that was Valley Malt of Massachusetts. Right, you were the first New York one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah so we was... were the first New York one. So we... Wait, wait, wait time out. You were the first New York one. We were the first that's New York cool. craft I mean, malt house in New York. That's it's impressive. Prohibition. Yeah. So we we wanted to do the brewery, but we knew there wasn't enough. At that point, there was not enough grain being grown in New York at all to support even one brewery. And we spent two seasons going up and down through Taggart County looking for farmers that would give us a 10-acre test plot, you know. And uh, what we were hearing from farmers was nobody grows malting barley in New York. And we'd say, why is that? And they would say, because nobody grows malting barley. Which in New York. wasn't the case back in the day. It's just yeah. uh, it's yeah. a, it became the thing. Yep. So it, 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 barley, like hops, left New York at, at, at Prohibition, um, moved to the West Coast, uh, or it moved to drier areas. And then we've had 100 well, years of breeding to, to grow barley and hops in drier areas. Yeah, I mean, you would know so. probably better than me, but it was it was Prohibition kind of like, Almost killed it off, and then and then and then the moisture killed off the hops, and that was the dagger. So they right? were, yeah, they were dealing with mildew issues before prohibition. When prohibition came around, a lot of the hop growers were like, "Oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about this anymore. I can take it out of my rotation." But before prohibition, every farm had some acreage in hops. Okay. And and what a lot of, and a lot of people know that because hops are sexy. Yeah. Uh, but what they don't know <laughs> is that New York was also all, New York also grew eighty percent of New York's of North America's malt before prohibition. And there were giant. There was a, a giant uh, shipping uh, building in Watkins Glen that it was a seven-block-long uh, building that was on a railroad track that was there specifically to ship grain west. And and that's the thing for the people out there listening that don't know. It's like you're like okay, pre-prohibition. You know, there's a couple breweries out there. No, there we just surpassed the amount of breweries that are in yeah. the country not too long ago. So it's not like we have that many more breweries going on. But. Yeah, exactly. So and then there was big malt houses right on the uh, Lake Erie in Buffalo. There's several large malt houses that would they'd malt the grain and put it on a barge and send it out west from there. So we were growing a lot of not hops. I mean, we were growing a lot of hops. We also growing a lot of barley before prohibition. Uh, mostly what we were growing was six row back then, and we can get into that if you want. That's that's a. Uh, I think we should be <laughs> growing six row now, but brewers have. Uh, misconceptions of what six row is and, and how and when to use it um, but uh, it, it makes perfectly fine beer but uh, there's there's a lot of misconceptions about what six row is and it's hard to get brewers to buy it so it's hard to get malt houses to buy it from the grower it's hard for growers to, to grow it if they can't sell it we'll, we'll definitely touch on that because we're gonna get we're definitely gonna dig into the whole like um, you know the hop sexy thing you're yep. like you're talking about uh, as opposed to malt and, and and yeast and stuff like that and people kind of looking at this secondary thing when they don't put too much thought process into the actual like malt and things like that but back to when you moved back here you um you move back you decide you're going to do the malt thing um you start doing it was there a point where you're like okay now this is taking off and did it coincide with you opening up a brewery like how did the two intertwine and interconnect as far as you being a malter then becoming a brewer was one more did one drive the other basically is what well we saying. knew the the when we crunched the numbers to be a malt house, in order to make money as a malt house, we needed to make, uh, just say we needed to make 200,000 pounds of malt a year mm -hmm. in order to pay our bills. No one was growing malt, so there was no way we could get 200,000 pounds of grain a year to pay the bills. So the, the next thing to do is, so then in order to pay my bills, I need to make 500 barrels of beer a year. 
well, how much malt does that take? Well, it takes like 25,000 pounds, which is about 20 acres. So if I could find two farmers that would grow 10 acres test plots, then we could, we could supply our own brewery and turn that malt into beer and then make enough money to pay the bills. Um, but like I said, we started, we, we, we started under faith because we could not find anyone who was going to grow barley for us. And we just started the malt house with faith that something was going to happen. And we were at a conference and we were... Uh, some guy overheard my wife and I talking about struggling to find malt, for struggling, trying, to, trying to find grain to malt. And he turns out his chair and says, you guys need grain? And he said, yes. He says, I have a hundred bushels sitting in a, in a, in a silo where I can't find anyone to buy it. Wow. And we were like. So it wasn't that it wasn't there. You just, it, there was no, there was no uh, well, roadmap to, to find it. Yeah, he grew it on a whim thinking he would find someone to sell it. And we started a malt house on a whim hoping we'd find someone to supply <laughs> us. And luckily we, we bumped into each other. Those whims, uh, they'll get you. Yeah, exactly. So it, it worked out <laughs> well. We bought everything he had. And that supplied us for the first, got us going for the first year. We malted for other breweries and distilleries, uh, like I said, for a couple of years before we opened our own brewery. And... Uh, and we stopped malting for other breweries and distillers. We let our, our contracts run out and not renew them. Uh, we had twice, <laughs> one spring where I had several tons of finished malt at the malt house, but I didn't have any of my own malt at the malt house. I had to go buy buy malt wow. from another malt house Dirty. because I know, right? It's like how do I, I get all this grain? <laughs> I can't use it belongs to somebody else, like right there behind a nylon bag, and I can't uh, get to it. All New York or distilleries? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. What year is this? When this 2012, is going 2013. And that's right around when, when Cuomo yes. signed, signed. Yeah, so. luckily for us, as, as we started building the Maltas out in uh, 20, the fall of 2012, the license came out in the spring of 2013, right as, the malt, our malt, right as we found our grain to start malting with. So people started really hammering us for, for grain at that point. And speak to that. What, like, as the New York state law, like, what does it entail, basically? It's, it's, a, it's a rollout kind it of is. law, correct? So, yeah, so up until now, it's only been, 20%. So if you just use 20% in New York State malt and, and hops, uh, you can you're, you can be a farm brewery. Mm. Uh, next year it changes, right? Next year it goes to 60%. 20% is not, that doesn't make a farmhouse brewery, right? No, you don't have it, to say it, I can see it in your face. Yeah. <laughs> 20%, you're making, it a, you know, you're making an attempt. And I would say as, as it moves to 60%, you, we're going to lose some farm breweries who don't want to do that for several reasons and that's cool and it's okay it's but you're thing. not losing a farm brewery you're just losing a brewer that had a farm brewery moniker but to but it. as they drop that they're not buying hops and malt anymore so i would say we need two tiers we need a, a tier that maybe even 10 percent, and then a tier that is 60 percent. okay so you're and so you have more people buying a little bit of grain instead of a few people buying a lot of so grain. you think that the law itself is a bit too inclusive to where it's going to kind of hurt the agricultural portion of the I, thing. I'm afraid, not as yeah, far, that's yeah. what I'm afraid of, is that you'll have enough people drop out that'll make, uh, there won't be enough enough people buying it to, to, to justify farmers growing it, you know, whether you're talking hops or barley. Um, that's my concern. More people are coming on. I think we're There's seeing no, more and more people who are, yeah, I hate to say it, real farm breweries uh, that are really trying to use as much as they possibly can. Uh, but if we could encourage everybody to use 10%, that would be, I mean, you, any brewery can use 10% base malt from New York State and, and blend it with their other malt and no one would notice. But where, where do you... Or even use 10% New York hops for their bittering. But where do you balance that? Where do you balance... And uh, all be alls if you make a good product, whether it be a hop, whether it be a grain, whether it be something that people want to make, again, your, your environment's going to dictate what you can produce. Yeah. If, you, if you make a quality one, then it sh hopefully uh, take care of itself... 
do you do you really think? I mean, it seems like a, there's a big groundswell for farm breweries, not just in New York State, but everywhere yeah, else. And it of, seems like of, there's yeah. a lot of them coming on. As as a malter, like what portion of your business now is the brewery and and and, and the malt? So we we do not malt for anybody else any longer. Okay, because it's all I said, there's two times so, I ran out of my own grain. Okay. I was like, eh, we're not doing this anymore. We're just going to keep it. in And at house. this point, every contract has lapsed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So okay. We're, not, we're not malting for anyone else anymore. We've trained up several other malt houses around the state who we refer people to, uh, people we know we trust that are making decent malt. And then it, let's flip the script on that. What percentage? How do I phrase this? That doesn't sound weird. What's your markup that you deal with all grain malt? Like, since you are a farm brewery, how much more expensive is it for you to be a brewery as opposed to somebody else that just goes and just buys it at, at just whatever? So my cost of goods on just the grain, my malted grain, and again, considering, so we're we're paying more <laughs> for locally grown grain then a larger brewery pays for commodity grain. Okay. So, and we're paying 30, 25 to 35 cents a pound for raw grain. Whereas, I'm not gonna name, bigger breweries, bigger craft breweries are, are paying less than that for finished grain. Uh, you know, out, out in the, the Northwest, in Canada, you can buy raw grain for six cents a pound, and we're, we're paying 25 to 35 cents for raw grain. Um, so you can look at it, you kind of console myself that what I'm paying for my hops and for my grain is equal to what I was paying for them as a home brewer, which is not, you know, obviously. It's very to, expensive. Yes, when you're exactly. Ready. So I kind of like, at least I'm not paying more than I was paying as a home brewer, but, you know. But So we're paying for hops, you know, you can get, you know, if you want to get Pacific Northwest Cascade, you can get that four, five, five, four to five dollars a pound if you're buying in larger, you know, if you're buying enough to support a brewery. We're paying fifteen to twenty dollars a pound for hops in New York State for locally grown hops, and I'm happy to do that. It, 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 it doesn't drive the price up that much, and it, 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 it just—it's a thing. It's something we explain to our customers about how come, you know, my growler costs more than commodity brewery down the road, and it's my cost of goods are two to three times that what other people. And, and that was my next question: is that obviously you're doing it because that's what you want to do? It's there's easier routes yes. to the end goal of what you're doing beer wise. If you're talking about just plain fluid, but the combination of how you're doing it, like what percentage of of like consumer education you put into the to what you put out there like because people come in they want beer they drink beer they like beer but how much of it is educating people how much of it is it people from this area because i mean in new york state people think of new york they think of new york city but it's a it's got a rich history in farming and all that kind of stuff how how's the community around here kind of uh, you know rally around you as a farm brewery how do you educate people how do you do that and make people understand what they're drinking yeah it's funny so first few years we would painfully make everyone sit through our spiel say, oh you've been here before you don't have to sit through the spiel that's cool but we would we wanted to we everyone would walk in and we'd say you're new oh well let me tell you we're a farm brewery and explain we use as much local greens as we can and blah 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 uh we probably pulled back from that recently just because it's busier we don't have the time to do that for every single person that comes in we do try to point out on the menu where it says percent new york state ingredients for each style that we do that we are trying to keep it local i, I think as we explain that, probably three to five percent of the people you explain that to, you see the light go on, their eyes bulge, and go, "Holy crap, that's cool!" Yeah. Everyone else is like, "Yeah, that whatever." Well, how's the beer taste? Which is cool. It's, it's, it's a fine thing to say. Yeah, yeah. right. So you use a little three percent doesn't keep your lights on. Right. So, but yeah. it's kind of neat. Every once in a while, someone's like, "Wow," and they get it. But mostly, it's it's people like, "Yeah, whatever." That's, that's but there a is a movement like, "Where's my food, comrade?" And it makes there sense is. that and the I, next thing would be, "Where's my drink come from?" I, I think there, and I think 
even in New York State, there are places where that's probably bigger communities that that makes more difference to. I think where we are, if I'm going to stereotype, we're, our, a lot of the locals around here are more what what 30 rack is on sale this week. Then. Which is mm-hmm. odd because we're surrounded by farms here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then how do you balance that as a brewery? Because, I mean, you know, coming in, the first thing I got, because I, I love cream ales, the first thing I got when I came in here is a cream ale. That's a beer that the person who's going to grab a 30 rack will relate yes. to. Yep. Do you do you cultivate your tap list, which is insane. What do you have, like 16 to 18 17? beers on, on draft? <laughs> it's a big Do list. you cultivate your tap list as, like, a step sto- a step yeah, ladder for absolutely. people to kind of branch them from the 30 yeah, rack? Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about this last night that it, it – uh, if it was up to me, I would make nothing but sours and, 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 and uh, Belgian-style beers. And I, I, when I first started, that was my, my – I'm not making an IPA. And people say, why not? It's like every single brewery makes a freaking IPA. And it's like, why – you know, the world does not need another effing IPA. But, yes, it does. Because yeah. you know, people walk in, they walk up to the bar, and what do you got for an IPA? And you go, I don't do IPAs. And they go, oh, thanks. And they turn and walk I mean, up. That's got to be more than know. half the customer base, yeah, right? Yeah, probably, and, right? and for the first year, we could legitimately complain that there wasn't enough hops available. You know, and, and we couldn't, to make an IPA, use it that six saisons I can't make for every one IPA I yeah. make. So it, but there's also the sell them the sizzle, and then they stick around for the steak yeah. kind of thing. You know what I mean? To where you get them in the door, and you stick around, and eventually maybe Absolutely. they come around. And, and we've... we've and since then, there's, a lot, there's actually issues that may be even considered a glut of hops on the, on the New York State market. And so we, we do have enough hops now. We do keep two to three IPAs on at a time. Uh, we have a session, a regular, and a double IPA that we, we rotate in and out. And sometimes they overlap and all three are on the same time. Uh, but we do. We have a cream ale saison. I think those cream ale saison and even our Belgian triple, we can usually sell to somebody who walks in and says, I usually drink a lager. What do you have? Yeah. Uh, uh, and we... And it, the, invariably, they go for the triple. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they pass out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for your buck. Yeah. This is delicious. Yeah, how much? Yeah. Exactly. I'd two points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. You didn't look at the ABV, did you? Uh, so you're, you're talking about um, coming in, being a New York start, uh, State Farm Brewery. Um, the laws are changing. It's multifaceted for you. It's also you got to keep your brewery open, but you're also worried about, you know what I mean? Like, does it, is it going to relate? Is it going to matter to people in the end? Does it keep you relevant? But on a flip side of that, and we talked about this previously today, me and, um, God damn, I forgot your name. Wow. Kyle, Jesus. Wow. Spacing wow. on it. Yeah, whatever. He's, yeah, whatever. Anyway, that's what's called editing. We'll edit it out. <laughs> but it, the best part is, I'm not going to edit it out. So it's going to be, be even better. Is that, uh, you know, my theory, and it's not my theory, it's everybody else's theory, is that, you know, beer's getting so big. Eventually, it's, it's not going to burst. It's just going to retract and it's going to become hyper local. You know what I mean? As a brewery like yours that makes so many different styles and does so many things, while you're worried about that law in itself, I think you're well more bulletproof than a brewery that makes like two different styles of beer and just kind of sticker can shit out the door nonstop and just really focuses on on volume of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like this, this is the kind of thing that people will eventually. This is what beer is going to become. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think the small local brewery is going to way more. That's going to be. I don't know, the mom and pop brewery, like a mom and pop restaurant, is going to be the next the next thing. I don't know if it's going to be a big thing. It's going to be a thing, um, but I think that's where people are going to be successful. I think as we look at growing, do we want to grow more on the wholesale side? No. I, there's so much. Again, why would I make an IPA? Everybody makes a fucking IPA. <laughs> yeah. Why would I go put myself on Wegman's shelf? There's 80 choices there, uh, and. and and then I got to worry about those qualities. So we look to we're looking to expand, you know, 
get more people in the tap room, make more retail sales as opposed to wholesale sales. And I think for a lot of breweries, that's what's going to make sense. You look at, you know, you can you can grow wholesale for a while, but pretty soon you're going to bump up against the bigger guys, and and they have the scalability that can undercut us. You know, I, I can never compete on price with, with anybody else. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, my yeah, cost of goods exactly. are so high. Yeah. You know, when I sell a keg, it, it's maybe a dollar more than the cost of goods, and and. Um, so we don't, we're not out beating the street trying to sell kegs either. It's people who come to us and beg us for a keg. We'll give them a keg as a marketing expense, but not because yeah, I'm going to make money on keg sales. Like an old school supermarket loss leader kind of thing, just yeah. to get your name out there. Yeah. Yep. But you, 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 um, you spoke about um, getting people in the taproom. Now, how I found you guys locally was um, not even that locally, about two hours away. I said, I want to drive two hour, about two hours a day. I want to go to a new brewery. And I... Uh, you know, set my little Googs map up and you guys popped up and I was like, okay, it really piqued my interest. Cause I got in a beer through the Belgian door and you have a lot of yeast driven beers, malt driven beers. So I ended up driving up here, but that was an old location. That was like a, a nice tap room. Um, probably, I would say probably about the same size. It's a different about, layout. Um, what was the, why'd you guys move? Like, why'd you go from there to here? And yep, it's about the same square footage. It's just one's laid out better, more usable square footage in here. Okay. Uh, we will eventually have access to the back half of this one. So actually the back half is only like a third, but the back third here, um, this gets us downtown. It really has made a big difference for us as being, you know, location, location, location. Yeah, we the thought foot traffic. Yeah. We thought for sure having somewhere where the parking lot would be a big deal. But in, in the end, being downtown where the foot traffic is and whatever, you know, Actions going on in that little Owego it helps us being down here, being part of it. It's an easy town to get to. It's like literally right off the highway. Yeah, you just get off the highway and cross and the bridge. A couple so years ago, hard. right, the uh, coolest little town cool. in yeah, America, yeah, right? Yeah, like yep. three years ago, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it is a cool little town. And then and it, the brewery's obviously not here. It's somewhere Correct. else. Um, how big is it? Oh, how many barrels? We uh, we currently have three barrels. Okay. Uh, we have uh, three seven barrel fermenters and three three barrel fermenters. So and we can do our wacky stuff and just do three barrels of that. No one needs seven barrels of beet beer, but <laughs> so we'll keep uh, the I don't know. system You're for a while. You're talking to a man who loves his beets, man. I can chug the living shit out of that. But um, it's it's on the far. How far away is the is the farm? I assume so, it's on the farm itself. No. So we. No? Uh, uh, so the farm is in Berkshire. Our malt house and brew house is in Newark Valley. So okay. it's, Newark Valley is the next town north of Owego. So we, as we started the malt house, uh, we looked at building a, a new barn on our property and putting the malt house in there. Uh, but in the end, the quickest thing to get started was just to rent uh, a warehouse in, in the next town over. Okay. So it's close enough where you get to far enough away that... Yeah, it made. You have to make a point to go there, so I met there all like the time. Like a kid at college, you move far enough away to the parents, <laughs> yeah, but long enough, close enough to bring you laundry that's, and money. That's, um, that's the goal. <laughs> um, and then you open this tap house. Like, have you seen? Like, is there a big difference between the, the there traffic? There is a big difference in the, the the clientele and a little more traffic. Not a lot more traffic, but a little more foot traffic. People just walking down the street and blundering in. Southern more in Christmas time. People, you know, out Christmas shopping, like, holy crap, there's a brewery right here. And they, <laughs> there's honey, beer. you go to the the, the knickknack store. I'm going to have a beer. You know, and uh, now that we're a little further down the road, that's not happening as much. But it'll. I think as the temperature warms up outside, we'll have more afternoon and evening midnight. And the the number of beers you have on is that just a matter of the the barrel size and you guys just you just I I would shoot myself if I had to if I worked at a brewery that made four beers and I had to make you know the same pale ale 
three times a week, I'd probably. I mean, it's a myself. crazy number. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're, really, you're, you're talking of three, you know, was it three barrels? Yeah. <laughs> three barrels, and you have 16 beers on, and it's, and last time I came here, it was close to that, if not more. And it's not like you're doing, you know what I mean, uh, an IPA, nine IPAs with single hop variants, and it's not like you're doing, like, each one is markedly different. You're talking about a cream yeah. ale, you're talking about Saison, you're talking about this, that, and the other thing. I, I think one, I took a, a barrel-aged old hill last time I was here. You know what I mean? The, the varying difference of beer that you bring to the table, like, is that just you're just sadomasochist yes. kind of thing going <laughs> yes. on? Is it? Yeah. I don't. I often say I don't sit around well, and so no. uh, I like to stay busy and I, I'm creative. I like to. I think what's what haven't I done? What can I do next? I'm constantly thinking about that, and so uh, a lot of times. Recently, we had uh, I well, so last week not not to brag, but last year we won the best porter in New York State with a, a maple porter, and so we made. Obviously, we had to make a lot more of it. You know, it was yeah. a one-off that we won, so we I ended up buying a thousand dollars worth of maple off my maple guy last summer. To make, <laughs> I got to a maple make, guy to keep making. Yeah, now I have a maple. I never knew I'd say I have a maple guy. Now I have a maple guy. Actually, I have two maple guys now. <laughs> oh, uh, big time! They don't know now. about each other. Yeah, yeah they don't. They don't, <laughs> anyway. they don't listen to podcasts. Uh, so the the first maple guy, you know, so I, like I said, gave him a thousand bucks in maple last year. He came to me in the fall, said he had a thirty-five gallon drum that had started to spontaneously ferment, and he would just give it to me because he couldn't sell it so it was a grade a grade doesn't come through much in beer but so we we made we made maple daisy with that we made a crazy daisy which typically we had local honey to the fermenter so we added a bunch of maple to the fermenter to make that one and then i still had a bunch left over so i made a maple quad as well so uh, that's what this is right here oh nice so it's a 13 point because again you're talking to two malt heads yeah <laughs> i gotta ask you a question do you still like homebrew on like a small scale when you're no if people ask that because you seem like the kind of guy that's just like i'm just gonna make something in his kitchen at 5 a.m that's kind of the vibe (laughs) i'm getting i do that but i do it 100 gallons at a time it's smaller than ithaca beer's test system so i could just throw out three barrels of something and see what happens and and it sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't the first time we made our beat our beat saison i thought it was undrinkably beady i had no idea what i was doing and you know there's no beat recipe beat beer recipes online yeah. so i, I kind of wung it and uh, i learned that you know i didn't skin them i just diced them all up threw them in the brew kettle and it was it was dirt very earthy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so but there's a little goat cheese though yeah probably would go good with goat cheese <laughs> it took forever to get rid of it i swore i'd never make it again but all of a sudden there was like these 10 diehards that kept coming going where's the beat beer i need more beat beer <laughs> <laughs> so we made it again and toned it down a bit, and even then it was too undrinkable. This, this year I think we made it, it works out well. It's a nice balance between beat. You get beat up front, get the saison on the finish. Um, but, it, you know, at 100 gallons, you can work your way through it at a decent time before it goes bad. And somebody's going to like it. That's the first thing we learned here. Boy, the first year we made a smoked pumpkin porter, where we smoked the pumpkins and the pumpkin to the brew kettle. That, too, was to me, it was, it was like liquid ashtray. It was like liquid at a campfire. <laughs> and, uh, Some I people thought, like that. But it did. Yeah, there are people come in. They buy five growlers. This is the best beer I've ever had. They're like, it's undrinkable. How are you drinking that? I had liked that beer, actually. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah so I liked that beer. You're one of those yeah, people. I did like that beer. So we, we've toned down our smoke and the smoked beer as well. But uh, that was my first lesson. Like, whatever you make, someone's going to like it. You know. It's, now, let's, um, let's talk about the IPA for a quick minute. So we started this conversation talking about you working out in San Francisco and you're like, I'm slinging juice. And then, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, uh, you know, I'd, uh, barter is the barter systems, the best system in the world. I'd barter with somebody and I'd be like, Hey, I'll give you a case of juice for a case of bread. And then someone's like, I'll give you a case of juice for a case of here in Nevada. 
What's it like now that people just want to come in here and drink new juice and not actual beer? Like, how do you deal with that when you're, like, getting out of the juice-slinging business to where people now want you to be in the juice-slinging business? Like, how do as you... A, as you, in a juicy IPA? Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I, nothing wrong. It, it's... Pe- Some right, people it, like cucumber pickle. It's not... Yeah, yeah I know. We know you're not bashing people when you talk about yeah, not liking yeah. the beer, yeah. you know? And I, I, I enjoy drinking an IPA. I just... I, I hate making IPAs. And it... it, it I guess because I cut my teeth with so little hops available that even yeah. now I cringe when I'm adding six pounds of hops. I'm like, oh, six pounds of hops, <laughs> that's so much. You know, and, and uh, but, you know, it's, it's, if, it's, if it draws people in, if it's selling beer, that's why I'm here to sell beer. You just, you know, you price it right so you're making back the money you, 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 that you're, of the hops that you're throwing in. Uh, but I, I got to, as a... As a home brewer, I you know quickly learned. I heard somebody, whether it was Jamel or somebody, was saying that you know anyone hops high, you can hide a handful of sins mm. behind a handful mm-hmm. of hops, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that's a quick and dirty way to cover up your your problems to throw more hops at the issue, and, and it true. drove me to making cream ales and saisons to make sure I knew what I was doing. That, and, and it sh- it shows in your menu. I have it literally written here in my notes in case we get sidetracked about the 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 uh, hiding flaws is such a kind of like it's like a dirty trick not not that you know there's you know every, you can brew a beer that can have a flaw and it still be a great beer but you focus on these kind of like beers that are hyper uh, vulnerable yeah. to, to, to flaws if you do drink them like like it, it, again it's a masochist thing it's like you need to brew that beer in order to kind of justify what you're doing as a brewer kind of thing while at the same time making a buck yeah it, it probably is I I, I Rather, the challenge of uh, yeast-forward beer, mm-hmm. uh, malt beer. Uh, there's nothing, like I said, nothing to hide behind. I can, I can, my crazy daisy or Belgian triple. You know, it, it's that's about temperature and yeast pitching and yeast oxygenation. Uh, there's no, you know, heavy-handed anything with that. You, you really have to. And same with the cream ale, the other end of the spectrum, three and a half percent alcohol. Yeah. You have to the right O2, the right amount of yeast and the right temperature to create uh, a nice clean flavor that, that you can't you know, nothing to hide behind and then you're talking about like does the yeast like love for the yeast in the beer is that just from when you started to go out there and taste things outside of the the lager and then you're like what is this flavor yeah. and that's the thing that yeah, really caught you yeah i tell you another one of those would be this the first time i had a saison i thought you know i had a friend who was really into saisons like ah it's a yellow beer you know <laughs> and finally i tasted it. it's like holy shit look at all the flavor and i think that was a hennepin i was like holy yep. crap this is a blonde beer that has all this flavor i want to do this how do i do this and I, you know you start reading up on it and it, it's all yeast driven and you have to and you can cheat and add your orange and coriander and pepper yeah. and but you can also do the same thing if you're just diligent with, with your yeast maintenance. And you can create a lot of flavor. And you can create different flavor. If you want to go more towards clove or more towards bubblegum, you, you can do that if you know how to do that. And that's 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 the craft I like to do. Not just every you, beer is the same. Where are you? Are you team clove or are you team bubblegum? Where are you at? <laughs> I, I like a balance. A little, I'm a little no, less clove. Cop out answer. Yeah, I want a definitive answer. I want a little less clove, <laughs> a little more bubblegum, a little more banana. Uh, you know, our, our triples, a little more banana. Our, our, our saisons tend to be balanced between cove and bubblegum. Uh, sometimes they come out clovier than I want, and that's a testament to me not being diligent enough, to me not crossing my T's and dotting my I's while I'm brewing. And I go, ah, Clove, you know, as far as the team here, like as far as brewing goes, who is it? Is uh, I assume it's it's just you. Yeah, it's just yep. me. I malt and brew, 
I uh, recently I got a, a part-time guy that comes in and he cleans the grain for me. At least. So that's an eight-hour day where I'm not standing there mind-numbingly <laughs> watching grain go through a cleaner. Uh, and he cleans kegs. So I do. Luckily, I have two days a week where I'm not doing mindless things. That was with that. a shock to me the first time I came here at the old location, mm-hmm. the Marty Show. <laughs> like, 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 no, I mean, slinging the beer, yeah. brewing the beer, cleaning the, I mean, mall, I mean, like, like every step of the way, it, it's a surprising the Marty thing show. because and that's why I took a time out. And I'm like, no, you like, you were the first guy in New York State, like, everything. Well, it's, it's crazy because there's this thing who, who said it? Um, there's this guy talking about this awesome thing called sleep. <laughs> and I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it, it, it's fun. Uh, like, like, Obviously, you know, the way you're producing the beers, what you're doing, you're doing it all yourself. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's, is it ADHD? Is it, is it something that you just can't not let, I understand where you're coming from because I need to have my finger in everything I do when it comes to the things that I love to do. I don't want anybody else to influence the output of what I'm doing because it's me. I'm putting myself out there. Now, you said you had a wife. Um, how do you balance that kind of like like semi kind of mental problem with having to be involved in every portion of the show with also still living in like a like a like a, a good a fun life outside of the beer <laughs> honestly uh, had like, a wife is the is the key there okay uh, and I don't I don't have any balance right now we we're, okay, actually fair we, enough. everyone here knows that if it doesn't happen I can cut that part out if you want Getting to Price Chopper, which is eight blocks west, okay, off of my main route up and down 38, is, is it happens like once every two weeks. Like, woo, I got off Highway 38, I made it all the way to Price Chopper. Uh, I am. I'm really busy. It's luckily I love what I do. And if yeah. you love what you do, you don't work a day. Yeah. Uh, it is exhausting sometimes. It's you know I get home after a brew day sometimes, and I'm, especially uh, certain sour beers are, are a long day, and uh, yeah, it can be exhausting. So, so you leave here. You go home, you're going to drink a beer that's not your beer. You just drink it sours all night? Like, what, what's no, going on? Like, no, like what, 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 what turns you on? The question I'm asking, what turns you on in the beer world the way it is today? Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I like beer. I do. I love, I, 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 I <laughs> What a controversial yeah, I know, uh, right, yeah, side to take. Again, right in the middle of the road again, Marty. <laughs> uh, no, I, my fridge is filled with everything from Saison's to barrel-aged stouts to, uh, uh, but is it is it is that experimentation? Is that you tasting things to process? Uh, when I was a musician, Both. one of the worst it's things experimenting I, and loving it. It's one of the worst things when I used to do music was I stopped listening to music and listened for flaws and edits and weird things that weren't about the music itself. Is it is it, it just is can it? Can I can I sit and just can enjoy you listen to the song yeah. and just listen to it now? Yes. Are you beyond that? You know what's funny is I'll as I said get home. I'm tired. Sometimes I'm halfway through a beer before I go. Shit! What the hell am I drinking? This is awesome. I come back and like, you know, and, and I can't be. Yeah, you know, like I said, so I'm tired, and sometimes I don't even realize. It. And all of a sudden, it's like I look, and there's like this much left. There's five ounces left. I'm like, shit! I should have been enjoying this the whole time. I've just been mindlessly drinking it. And uh, 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 what is that? Uh, happened to me a week, couple weeks ago with Sticky Monkey. I like, God damn it! I didn't. I didn't take time to enjoy three quarters of the way through this awesome freaking beer. But there's something beautiful about that. And just now I realize I should though. be enjoying this, and yeah. it's like, and then you get the, like four ounces of just, for me, pure joy. I just love that beer. I, uh, and there's a few beers like that where I just, I could, just, I could just sit and drink it all day if, you know, if I could sit and drink it all day. I can't, I can't sit. B, I can't drink those high alcohol beers all day. But that's yeah. a struggle for me too. Is like. 
dissecting a beer versus just just simply cooking and drinking a beer or you know like it, it they're all enjoyable though yeah, it, it's just I, finding that balance i do have uh, yeah so i have i have two drawers in the fridge i gotta admit i have one that which that i know i'm gonna sit and enjoy it. like i'll go reach for a beer i'm like no, I'm too busy. I can't drink that one today. I'm going to drink, you know, this, this one today. I'm going to just, just grab it in Sierra Nevada today because I just got to drink a beer yeah. and move on. I don't have time to sit and I don't, I don't want to waste my time with this beer on my mental capacity right now. And I won't drink a, a beer that I want sometimes because of that. I want to have time to really take it in. So I, I owe you a gratitude. had a couple beers. Um, you do sodas as well. Yes. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit. So I started dating my wife before we were married, and she had two teenage daughters. And I was the coolest dude ever when I brought a growler of the creamsicle to the house. Yep. Gave that to them, you know. And uh, it was a, a, a conscious decision for people who brought in children, like a whole family comes yep, in. So decided, you're trying to create a family environment absolutely. here. Absolutely. We didn't want. To, we never wanted to be a bar. And okay. We wanted to be a well lit, welcoming place for families with kids and dogs. Just that. We don't want to That's be a dark, scary... That's why I came with dogs, man. Yeah. That's why I came on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be a dark, scary bar. We want to be yeah. some well-lit, bright, happy... Yeah. Look at, we have Right now, we have several families here with kids yeah. playing Wii and, and sitting at the table. Um, yeah, we always want to be welcoming with kids. So we, when we wanted to make soda, we could have bought soda extract and just... That would have been the quick and dirty. Dump that into a yeah. keg of water and carbonate it, call it good. But... That's not that's not our shtick. So we uh, orange cream is is yeah. orange juice and vanilla beans. It's not even. Vanilla I remember I had to explain to him like I'm like those little black bits. I yeah, said, that's, that's gross. Real. That's actual. Vanilla. I said that's vanilla. <laughs> I said that's the real stuff, guys. Like yeah. that's not <laughs> what you're used to drinking is not real vanilla. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we make our, our ginger sodas made with local ginger, yeah. and uh, our cherry sodas made with the uh, New York State sour cherry juice. Nice. So we, it, it's that's who we are, and that that's yeah. just I wouldn't want to have. Do it any other way. That's ever have the ever want to make like a like an alco pop fermented like thing or is that against the law in New York? I'm not sure. That's a that's a down the road. So the farmhouse 2.0. We're adding a, a distillery and that'll be part oh. of that. Oh so, wow! Yep. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we could. We we, we we've been through. <laughs> is this a been, scoop? I think we yeah, just got a he's scoop. He's got a world premiere. <laughs> uh, we've been looking for the right building, so okay. we, we've looked at. Oh, she's four buildings now, and, and just none, none of them are quite right. And we don't have a lot of inventory in this little town, so uh, we're trying to find the building that has the right size that we can incorporate two different, and also has a way we can license two places in one place. So it needs to have two, two oh. buildings in one or some good, or, you know, some way to, that can be divided yeah, the yeah. two, you know. Uh, we were we have a third we have a fifth one now we're looking at next week that's actually two buildings on one property so that would make it easy uh, put put the still in one building put the brewery in the brew house in the other one and that'll be easy to is that a law thing or you just yeah. have to keep them distinctly separate yeah the feds want they don't want you to mix your peanut butter and your chocolate or whatever they want. The, the risk of you pouring your, your but whiskey it's so in your beer. delicious yeah it, it, for them it's it's all about taxes so yeah. what if I Lord forbid I poured my whiskey in my beer and didn't pay the right tax on the whiskey and yeah so they want to make sure everything's separate and uh, so we're trying to find the right place to do that so we can do both because once again I don't need to sleep but I have other <laughs> I have other, uh, other other itches I need to scratch how many hours a night yeah exactly minutes so you were talking about having those separate buildings there, so you obviously want to expand a brewery where do you want where, where do you want to go from there like how big do you want to so go so we're, we're the next step I think is 10 to 14 barrels um We'll, like I said, we'll keep our three-barrel brew house just because no one needs 10 to 14 barrels of beet beer or even <laughs> tomato beer. So it's uh, 
We, uh, so the, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And, and I think even though we do make IPAs now, they don't move fast enough uh, to make 15 barrels of IPAs. So I'd rather make three barrels and have it sell out while it's still fresh as opposed to it, and, it and the goal is to grow to like facilitate what you need. Do you know what I mean? Beer wise, it's not. Are you looking towards like some kind of distribution outside of kegs? Obviously, you probably start start doing kegs more often. Yeah. Or are you just like you just want to be able to produce what you need. Yeah, that's what we're going to sell retail. We are as a farm brewery probably the only remaining plus of having a farm brewery over regular breweries that you can open more tap rooms. So that would be our grand scheme of expanding is open more tap rooms where we have more retail sales. Okay, so they all fall under the same thing. So you don't have to go and license each individual place? You do, but it's easier. It's a one-sheet okay. thing as opposed to – it's a one-sheet thing like three months on someone's desk at the state office. But other than that, it's it's pretty quick and it's pretty easy to do as a farm brewery. So farmhouse brewing, local ingredients. Well, state of New York doing everything local in-house – making a bunch of different styles from you know a cream ale to a stout to all bunch of bits and pieces of awesomeness expanding starting to kind of expand maybe eventually to the kind of distillery thing obviously it'll happen eventually but we'll see what happens there what aren't you going to do like that's the question i was going to ask you what what are you going to have in the future what are you not going to do can you're not going to can you're not so, going to do anything okay like, so here's my issue with canning Oh, okay. Here we go. Maybe we'll okay. get a controversy There's, I, right no, now. No. Right, well, I officially have 81 canning. hours left, so. Can, yeah, you can, you can get me going on a lot of things. But canning, the problem with cans is that every aluminum can, whether it be a beer can or a tomato can or your cream corn, they're all sprayed. The inside is coated with BPA. And the, the lower the pH, the more the BPA is leached out of, out of the plastic. So even clean beer is low enough in pH, it's leaching the BPA out. So why would I put my farm fresh, healthy beer in a can that's filled with carcinogens? Not so, just that. Most people think cans are the best recyclable source. It's infinitely easier to recycle glass than it is cans. So yeah, yeah. Even, you know, it's just you put the sticker on it and it's shiny and silver. It's like dangling keys yeah. in front of a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's shiny. The new shiny thing. <laughs> no, really, it's a can. It's shiny. So yeah, yeah and that's just been my. You know, people ask us all the time. How come you don't can? How come you don't have a crawler machine? Well, it's, I'm not going. To, I respect my customers enough not to give them mm-hmm. a carcinogen. And I work. We work hard to use fresh, local, whole ingredients. There's no extracts in anything we do, and so I'm not going to wrap it in carcinogen and yeah. people. So, and I don't. You know, I realize the whole craft beer world is filled with cans, but it's just not what I'm going to do. Until they come up with a liner that's not BPA free. So if you see me with a crawler here, you know that I found BPA free <laughs> cans. <laughs> Dude, you know what? I, we, I think we're done. I, honestly, there's another whole podcast in here, so we're gonna have to come back here and talk yeah, some more no, because I, I could talk for another five talk, hours. I mean, but just oh, farming alone, yeah, I could rant. Yeah, I could rant yeah. about oh, farming and, and oh, brewers for another twenty we're, minutes. We're gonna do it, dude. We're gonna do it, dude. But uh, yeah, I mean, for today, Jesus, that was a quick hour. That was a whole hour. That was an hour. That was an hour. Uh, no joke. Yeah, no joke. I, I'm shocked that yeah. that was an hour. Uh, so plug you tell people how to, how do they find you do the whole we're, like we need to make money and tell we people need to make where money, we're at. please come by here <laughs> uh, we're we're in a we go New York which is uh, in any place in New York you got to give two other cities and a body of water so we're between <laughs> Binghamton Elmira right off to Susquehanna it's so true <laughs> so uh, right on 17 I guess it's called 86 these days wait you guys are right off to Susquehanna yeah right there I like literally. Like, I'm three steps away from the Susquehanna in Pennsylvania, so that means you can just float some stuff down okay, there. Yeah. You just throw it in a river. A package, Jeez, a nice water in a bottle, beer in a bottle. We can do a lot. Little GPS beepers here. There we go. Walk out and grab it. Your package is <laughs> arrived, and it's floated past your house. Yeah. 
But you guys are here and uh, like all over the Instagrams and the YouTubes yeah, and all absolutely. that stuff. So, yep, Facebook, Instagram. I don't think we have a Snapchat. We do. Yeah. I don't Snapchat. No Friendster, <laughs> MySpace. No. No, yeah, we gave up our MySpace MySpace page finally. And got off our Yahoo email address. There you go. <laughs> You've got mail. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the farmhouse brewery, the farmhouse brewery. The Keep farmhouse that in mind brewery. when you type it in there because you need it the other way. It's kind of hard to find. Owego, yep. um, uh, uh, New York. It's actually, and I, I talked about this earlier, it's not that far off the beaten path for a lot of people. I know a lot of people travel through this area, and I've done it a couple times. A lot of people uh, from the New York, lower New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area go up to like Rochester, Buffalo, and there's two paths you can take. You can actually go straight up 81 and cut across the state, or you can actually get up to Binghamton hang a left on the 17 and it's the same exact amount of time actually it might be a skosh faster but I mean it's 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 minutes off the highway come down here like I said a, a beautiful tap room a ton a ridiculous amount of beers on draft there's only one brewery that has you beat as far as the number of drafts for for I mean they're a bit bigger brewery but as far as size Zigmeister in um, Hackettstown New Jersey has like 24 beers on drafter oh, wow. also crazy when it comes to the stuff that they do they also make everybody that works their brew it's kind of the allagash thing to where everybody that comes through there whether they are salesmen or whatever but anyway uh yeah stop by check it out say hi to marty uh he'll tell you everything uh, that's right with the world with yeast and what's wrong with the world with hops <laughs> and yeah, we can uh, rant about malt all day long if you want. <laughs> chug a cream ale and uh, and have a good time so thank you very much brother yeah, thanks for coming it was an out. awesome conversation yeah. Yeah. so like you said come on out find us in a wego I can talk hops and malt all day long. So, grab, if you want to do that, just let me know and we can. You know, we'll be here. Yeah, I'm here Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> there you go. Um, if you have questions for us, uh, massivebeers at gmail.com. If you have a question for Marty, reach out to him on social media. If not, send it to us. We'll send it on to him. We'll be back. Like I said, we'll definitely do a second one because there's so much more to talk about. But hopefully, you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hopefully, you enjoy us kind of ranting about this that and the other and uh hope we'll see you next time sounds good thanks awesome. for having me thanks cheers having me